We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots podcast. This episode 59 of the pod, just one shy of 60. Where has the time gone, Matthew? We're approaching OTAs or we're in OTAs. We're approaching summer camps if we want to talk about football here briefly. But uh, we have plenty, uh, a, a bevy of other things to get to here. But we're going to start off with your weekend experience, Matt. You finally got up to Northern California here. Obviously, uh, schedules did not work out. Uh, unfortunately, I was um, I was a little bummed know. we couldn't make that work. We were about an hour away uh, from probably being able to grab lunch. You're a hard man. To, you're a hard man to get a hold of. So, hey, uh, so so are you, my friend. You're uh, you're a busy man. You're you're appearing on ESPN nowadays. You're just you're, you're big time now. It's it's hard. Uh, to, it's, it's hard to get a minute from you. Let's now let's 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 keep it factual here. Appearing on ESPN two, oh, and sorry. it wasn't and it wasn't a scheduled appearance. Your it face was on just, was on the ESPN uh, family of networks. That is that is a factual statement. And I know it's I know statement. it's technically the picture of you that was on the tweet that I sent out from the account last night. But uh-huh. that was the most successful tweet that I think we've sent out uh, in terms yeah. of reaction. So just and credit credit me for the knowledge to you know the the foresight to actually send that out and do the would, eyeball I emojis. I would credit you. The, I would the credit eyeball you. emojis work right. That's that's a good good time for it, right? Very much so. But I, I would credit you. But I have two issues. Sure. Uh, can can I bring always these to the table always here? have issues okay. with me before you can credit me? Sure. I, I was I was in nowhere in that was I mentioned. So, and Twitter doesn't work chronologically. I didn't see that until late in the day. I would have replied to something. I was late to the game on a tweet of my own. I actually toyed uh, with mentioning you in it, but I thought the eyeballs just worked better because the face was just so prevalent. I know it doesn't tag you, but I figured you see, yeah, I I don't get a a notification when you just put eyeballs. uh, There's a million dollar idea. If your face appears on any tweet or social media, you get a notification. I'm sure they're working on it. Yeah, let's, but, let's get that. You, uh, issue, live, you live out west there. You can figure that out. You're right in that area. Issue number two. Issue number two sure. here. Um, I know you didn't take the photograph. I credited was, Reed eventually. No, 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 no. I didn't. Whatever. Give him the credit. <laughs> Don't give him the credit. No skin off my back. It was not. A, it didn't shed good light on me. Then. I thought you, you looked pretty good. It was a lighting. If you see the actual video, you know, the, the lighting in the room is, is much more forgiving than uh then the tweet you put out there, you got me in a weird, you got me mid question with, with the mouth in a weird place. I'm over it. It's not going to be my grievance or anything. See, but I, I just said, oh, bring, okay. See, bring I, this to light. I actually thought you looked very, I thought you looked very nice, very focused, oh, well, very you. professional. Thank you. I, I you very clean that. shaven. Uh, I, you know, I, just, I thought it was a good look for you. <laughs> we, uh, we will get to plenty of warriors and uh, NBA talk here in the pod, but Matt, uh, let's um, enough about me, you know, Let, let's you? talk about your weekend a little bit. Joe, here. I'm a, I'm you a, got, hiker. You got I'm a out, veteran hiker. I went on a hike. You're a hiker. Yeah. You got out to Tahoe. You're one with the earth. Uh, just sum up the Tahoe experience for us here. I don't think there's like a cooler place on earth that i think i've traveled before the combination of like being 70 and sunny but like also mm-hmm. driving around and seeing snow-capped mountains and then being like on a lake on a boat for a day and like being in the middle of a mountain like it, the, the combination of the things you see and like kind of climates i guess within that such a confined area is is was unbelievable and the amount of the, the amount of unbelievable views of that lake that we've we kind of found just kind of going through one or two different hiking trails uh, i know dayton and mike went on one that was uh just by themselves early one morning that uh, the rest of us couldn't quite make the call for um, but they, they went on and saw some awesome stuff. So it's, there's so many different places, so many fun things to do. And like, I was talking to, to Brian, I think on the like, flight back, we could do that trip two, three years in a row with, you know, four days. And I think I could find something different to do every one of those days, you know, pretty easily and, and not repeat myself. But it was awesome. Yeah, it was a great experience. Great bunch of guys. It's a surreal, uh, it's a surreal place when you, you know, when you grow up in the Midwest and everything's, pretty flat or metropolitan and you're used to I-80 covered in cornfields. Uh, when you see places like that and those sort of terrains, they really, they're pretty, they're pretty breathtaking. So it's, and uh, I will say driving through there was a little bit, it was an experience because you, know, you drive through here 
obviously you're just kind of used to flipping it on cruise control, driving through cornfields for two hours, you get to your destination. Oh, no, you got to be like, locked in up you're, there. You're, you're bobbing and weaving through some mountain ranges there. Sometimes you're going down to one lane. It's, it's, you, you got to be, you got to be on your, uh, you know, on, on your A game. Yeah, and absolutely. I was all weekend, happy to say. You were just on your A game. Uh, if there wasn't a, I'm told if there wasn't a Pacifico in your hand, there was one in waiting. Yes, yeah, pretty uh, much. That was some, yeah. it's California beer, Joe. You know that better than anybody you, else. You did it. You did it the right way. I, I didn't know that until you told me that like ten minutes ago. I just, you know, I just, I, I didn't either. But I just, I, I, I've been to California twice in the last two years, and every time, I've been, both times I've been out there, it's been pretty much everywhere and been pretty popular. So yeah, I, just I just assume even in Chicago, I was a big Pacifico guy. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm a big fan. Happy, uh, happy that you had a positive experience out here. We'll have to get you out here again and uh, have things link up because there is some great golf in the area as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we played a course that, you know, I, I think if it was in the Chicago area, probably would have been like a $30, $35 course. But because mm-hmm. you throw it smack dab in the middle of mountains, like you can, there was, I think, 80, 80 some bucks for the round because See, the views around it were so awesome. I've had a, I've had the inverse experience of that. I've played a lot of courses out here that I thought would have been hundred dollar courses at home that only cost me like 50 bucks. And I've, I've been very uh, pleasantly surprised by the affordability of, um, of California golf. And that might just be because I would guess more because I, I was I in have, Tahoe where Tahoe, I think we're just kind of a, yeah, but even like in like the Napa area, I played a couple courses in Napa that are really reasonably pr- priced amongst vineyards. And it's just, uh, I think I'm playing a lot of weekday golf, and that's that probably, probably right saves too. me a couple yeah. a couple bucks too. Yeah, with my odd off days. But enough about us, Matt. Let's talk a little sports. We say, oh sure, I guess so. In? This is a sports right. podcast. I think we're uh, we're going to open things up with the NBA Finals today. Game two was. You're going to uh, have to guide me through game two a little bit. I, I sat down. We watched, We all watched game one together. Got really into that one. Game two, I was I was on an airplane for the majority of, but I, I caught the gist of it. Game and the, one, the Warriors are really good. Game one really laid out all the storylines for you, all the drama, all the NBA uh, reality TV that fans tune in for. You got a fight at the end of the game between Tristan Thompson and Draymond Green. Who else? You know, you got uh, your storylines of the overturned block charge call there on LeBron. Make of it what you may. I think they got the call right. It's just a hard call to overturn at that point. Get the call right on the court. You have uh, you have George Hill, a former Sacramento King, so it was big here too. Um, George Hill missing a free throw so badly it hit the bottom of the rim. It was terrible. And then Jr. forgetting that he was playing basketball. So there, those were your uh, those were your main storylines, and those pretty much carried over into Game Two. But Game Two's storyline was just Steph. the play of Steph Curry. Yeah, Steph was, I believe, nine of seventeen from three, setting a new Finals record with nine made threes. And when you talk about traveling somewhere and it being breathtaking, like nothing you've ever seen, I've never seen a shooter get into a zone the way Steph Curry did in Game Two. To be in the building for that, watching him pour those in, there was like a five shot streak where he didn't even touch the rim. It was just bottom of the net, bottom of the net, bottom of the net from anywhere on the court. Obviously you've seen, you've probably seen the replay of the one over Kevin Love a million times. It was, it was breathtaking to watch him just do what he does better than anyone else in the world. I knew I was watching greatness. I knew I was watching the peak of what someone can do physically in the game of basketball. And it was amazing. And, uh, you know, people always talk about Steph Curry's ability to change a game and change the momentum because his three point shot is essentially a dunk elsewhere. It gets that sort of rise out of the crowd. And when he's got it going, like he did on, uh, on Sunday night there, it's um it's immediate energy for his team. They could be every time it seemed that the margin got within single digits, Steph hit a big three to completely light the building on fire and take back momentum. He was he was everything the Warriors needed him to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that was actually that was similar to the question you asked Kerr, right? You, you basically said you know mm-hmm. he came to a couple times where you guys got they cut the lead, you know, four or six, but the game never actually really felt like out of your control and even Steve Kerr kind of agreed to that moment which is something it's nice and refreshing to hear that from a head coach in the NBA finals open enough to basically say yes even up four I didn't feel like we were you know not in control of that game and you know with Steph 
might not be. He's you know definitely a top five and player in the NBA, but I obviously LeBron's probably one and may, might not be the best player on his own team. But when Steph gets into that zone, like you were mm-hmm. talking about, I don't think there's anybody who can take over a game like he can. I think when he's at his peak playing his best basketball on his own, I don't think there's a more dangerous player in the NBA, if that kind of makes sense as to what I'm saying there. It absolutely does, and it kind of feeds into that that uh, point of, uh, of momentum too. Like LeBron, I'm also getting a firsthand account now of what LeBron James can do to a game. And he, they just don't have the firepower for Mm -hmm. him to, you know, really make his mark and really have the impact on the game that he, that he deserves to have to make these games even more interesting because what he's done in game one and game two has been astounding as well. But it's, whether it be the makeup of his team right now or the makeup of him as a player or the fact that I'm only seeing him in Golden State, he doesn't have the ability to flip that energy or even turn off the energy of an opposing crowd. He He's hit some big shots. He's made some big plays and big moments, but there's something about Steph Curry that I don't know if it's the fact that just at the base of it, it's worth three points rather than a big dunk by LeBron or a crazy turnaround jumper. The momentum shifts so much more readily when Steph Curry does something rather than LeBron. And and again, that is likely because the home court of a home court advantage. But um, what LeBron's doing too should be applauded as well because he's uh, he's given everything. He's giving everything. And I don't know if you saw the uh, extended timeout. Video of when after Jr. forgot score, and LeBron finds out that they had a timeout. You you have to feel for this guy. He's it's breaking him emotionally. I said it uh, when we were just BSing about it at the station. I said this is his presidency. You know when you see a president go into office and he's like this spry fifty two year old with a lot of big ideas and good thoughts, and then four or eight years later he comes out of it with a head of gray hair and bags <laughs> under his eyes. This is LeBron's presidency. This is president this year. It's killing him. It's shortening his life, um, and hopefully it's not shortening his. Hopefully it's not shortening his life or his career span because. Um, as long as we got this guy in the league, the better the league's going to be. But uh, I just really want to see him go somewhere where he can be King James again, where he can, you know, fight for these championships. And it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to lose because this is, this is a foregone conclusion in my head because nothing in games one and two have convinced me that, they have any chance of winning more than a game in this series. Everything went the way, like the game one, everything that could have gone wrong, wrong seemingly, seemingly until the end that JR, mm-hmm. you know, error kind of did for Golden State. Cleveland had everything going for him. LeBron obviously went completely off, and that was kind of that was their game to steal. They had multiple chances. They had two free throws. They had LeBron wide open for three, you know, at the buzzer there, and they still couldn't pull that one off. And that was kind of like that was and if they're going to do it, that was their chance to exactly really make it. exactly. They they needed to get their punch in in Golden State game one when you had the chance. I knew that there was no there was no chance they were bouncing back from that game one loss oh, yeah. with any sort of productivity, but. Um, you know, LeBron gives you a chance when he's on the court to at least be competitive in the conversation. Competitive, yeah, but that's it's another thing when Steph Curry's going off. Clay Thompson's pouring in twenty. The Warriors had five guys in double digits, and I believe four of them hit the twenty point mark in game two. So it's um it's tough when they they got to fire on all cylinders. I don't care who's on the other side of it, and LeBron's fighting his fight. And I think the toughest thing about it in game one, not only that these other guys made the mistakes, but LeBron played a flawless game of basketball. I don't know how many, I don't know the exact stat line and how many turnovers he had, but he was facilitating. He was making every shot he put up. He was pulling up from Curry range. It was it was a flawless job by LeBron James to come up on the losing side of things. That's uh, that's even more reason to jump town. And hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's somewhere where I don't know. I feel like there's a happy medium. I mean, he wants to go somewhere that he's kind of said, like, I don't want to have to do this all the time anymore. I think he's perfectly cool with going somewhere where he's not, you know, the the ball dominant guy always. I think he'll always be if he's on the team, that guy who takes control. But he's cool going elsewhere, I think. My point being, my point being, I hope there's a happy medium where like not mad at him because I think. I mean, I don't think it would work in Houston just because of the type of the basketball that they play. I don't think that LeBron fits into that 
because he would have to be ball dominant mm-hmm. and then Harden would have to be ball dominant. And then you're just watching two guys take turns, play ISO ball the way Chris Paul, what's Chris Paul's role then, you know, mm-hmm. Chris Paul could serve as a facilitator for those two guys if they decided to play that way. But I don't think that's something that happens overnight. Philadelphia would be cool to see him go there because he's got a young Joel Embiid and a Ben Simmons. But does that stunt the growth of a Ben Simmons? LA would be fun because it's bright lights, big city. And you put a couple players around him. You tell, what's his name? Uh, I can't say his name. You tell Lonzo Ball's dad to be quiet and go Good elsewhere. Good remembering the rule. Thank you. you know, that, we had a that, rule. that was like 30 episodes ago. That was the ball jar. Um, but uh, I hope there's a happy medium in there. And in my mind, I think that the happiest medium is either Philadelphia or, or L.A. I mean, you haven't heard many other teams throw their name in the hat. I, I just hope he stays in the. I hope he stays in the East. So at least for these next few years, we see a Golden State versus someone in the championship rather mm-hmm. than Golden State, State versus Houston in the Western West, Conference Finals, and then the that ball game. Yeah, um, I, I still think Boston, if they get all healthy, might be a team that might be able to compete. If yeah. they're kind of, not for LeBron, I mean more against Golden State, um, but in the East, yeah. I don't think there's besides somehow making it work with the Warriors I don't which it won't there was that brief like week-long span where people have you know made that rumor up but I don't think there is a scenario in which anybody's going to be mad at LeBron for leaving like he did with Miami just because they've seen what he's gone through this year they've kind of seen how he's tried to put this all together how exhausting it has been for him and I don't think there's there's a scenario there's a team in the east or west that he could possibly land with where people would be mad at him for trying to go to Yep, that's just me. Uh, he'll find a way to piss people off, though. It's uh, it's LeBron James, and he always <laughs> fair plays. enough. All right, matter. Well, it's uh, it's championship time elsewhere as well. Uh, NHL playoffs, at Stanley Cup finals coming down to what could possibly be the, be the final game. Cups uh, in the building. The, uh, the cup will be in the building. Uh, the the Caps. It could be their year. They are uh, leading Las Vegas three to one, and I guess the only. Uh, the only glimmer of hope here for Vegas Knights fans is that they've been the underdog. They've been underdog. Pardon what me. What was that, Joe? <laughs> underdog. underdog? They've, been, they've been the under. I'm, I'm a little congested. Sorry. I don't know if you can hear. We'll, um, cut, we'll cut that part. Thank you. They've uh, they've been the underdog all season, and if anyone's going to play from from the position that they're in right now, I guess it's, it's the underdog's position. I guess they have to just embrace that that scenario one more time and tell themselves one game at a time and, and try and get this thing to seven. Yeah, you know, Eddie Olchek will probably say, probably has said it, you know, 15 times since they lost last night on all the radio hits he's probably done today. But you know, the Knights just have to focus on going out and winning one period and just trying to take it one period at a time. But like you said, they've been the underdog all season. I know it's a different year, and, you know, the Caps have beaten the Penguins this year, and they, they've gotten farther than they ever have. But they're also a team that's, you know, blown 3-1 leads in the past, so it's not like they're immune to it. But at the same time... The Caps just kind of look like they're outclassing Vegas. I know we've said it a bunch here on, on this this uh, the podcast that Vegas is part of the reason why they're so good is because they're basically a group of second and you know they're all their forwards are pretty much just groups of second and third liners, and they have some of those guys probably playing lower roles than they should be at. But I, I think you're finally starting to see the the top end talent of the Caps start to outclass. Um, you know, Vegas is top end talent. They don't really have much of an answer for Ovechkin's line because they're, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those, the, the first two lines for the Caps are both so good. It's kind of pick your poison. And when you don't, when you're on the road and you don't get to pick your matchup, it's even tougher that way. And I think we saw the, the Capitals take advantage of that. It's tough. It's tough keeping up with, you know, top two lines that are that talented, have that much skill in Ovechkin and Kuznetsov in one, and then Backstrom and TJ Oshie, who's playing, uh, probably as good a hockey as I think he's ever played on that second line. But uh, it's been a fun series. And it, it, I know last night uh, ended up being a blowout, but Vegas, I think, started off playing pretty well. Game two was, uh, was or game three, excuse me, was really fun as well. Um, but Mark Andre Fleury's starting to look, he's not playing bad, but he's starting to look a little bit vulnerable. And mm-hmm. the, the Caps are taking advantage, are taking advantage of their bounces like Vegas had done all playoffs. Yeah, it, that, I think that tells a story right there because they really rode the play of Marc-Andre Fleury when they weren't as tight as they needed to be on the defensive end. And Fleury just had a couple games where he was unconscious and it's starting to catch up with them a little bit, I think. And I just see this team as 
you know, the Cinderella story that it's, it's not a Disney movie. It's the Cinderella story that falls just short. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's your Friday night lights ending. And that's, that's oftentimes what happens in these, these big emotional runs. You get to that pinnacle, that peak and, uh, and, and you fall just short and they're falling to, or they could fall to a team that really deserves this as well. And uh, we were talking about it in the sports office yesterday too. This is a, this is a team full of guys who, who deserve every moment with the cup in Ovechkin, who's given his entire career to come over here and, and give the American game of hockey, one of the most electrifying players that's ever seen. One of the greatest goal scorers that's ever seen a guy in TJ Oshie, who let's not forget as a national hero after what he did for, for the Olympic team. And these are, there's journeymen on that team. And these are guys who deserve to take a skate with that cup. And I think, uh, I think we're, we're going to see that sooner rather than later. Yeah. And Ovechkin just seems like a different player these last couple of years. I know he's, he's been criticized, you know, as, as the captain of that team saying, you know, he's just kind of the captain. He's the best player. He's not actually a leader. You know, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't play, you know, the game both ways. I think you've seen a little bit different, um, approach from him this year uh this year especially he's never going to be a great defensive forward but i think you've seen a little bit more flashes of his, his effort in that end his his, his flashes and effort overall and I, you see him react on the bench i know it's the stanley cup finals but every goal no matter when they score you know, no matter what he, he's always the most excited guy on the bench he's the first guy to congratulate anybody when they're doing stuff and he just seems like an absolutely great guy for that locker room kind of seems to be flipping the narrative on mm-hmm. himself, on what people, what people have kind have of thought saying of him about him his whole career. Yeah. yeah. How about him eating that puck before game one? Was that that was before game one, right? Did you see that? I did not see that. He was just on the bench during warmups and took a puck straight to the mouth. Soccer, and just joke. it was like it was like there was a bug in his face. He like like wiped his face and was done. I would have been an NBA player would have missed the series. Joe Ovechkin didn't even miss a minute. It would have buckled. <laughs> it would have buckled both of us. I'm Absolutely, got him down. He, it got him right where his uh, right where his visor kind of meets his nose. I would have Ooh. been crying. There would have been blood. It would have been terrible. But uh, just a, a tough dude who deserves his moment in, in, in the sunshine. And I think, like we said, that's coming. I would. I'd still just love to see. Hopefully, Vegas has a little bit more magic left in them. Get it to go, six at least. Home. They're going home. That crowd's going to be nuts because they're. I don't. I don't think they're going to be a nervous or, you know, um, uneasy crowd because it's it's Vegas and they're just kind of crazy <laughs> out there. Everyone's uh, drunk. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I think you're going to see that crowd nuts, and, and hopefully Vegas is going to come out and play some inspired hockey. They can take advantage, you know, having the matchups. And then, you know, if, if they can get one, you got a little bit of momentum, maybe plant some doubt in uh, in Washington's mind and, you know, never know what happens. Can I, uh, can I make one Vegas pun? You're going to do it anyway, so. Hey, you got to roll the dice, Matt. All right, that's all I needed. That was terrible. That was really bad. That was terrible. What are you opening? Are you, like, opening a cupboard over there? Um, No, I'm letting my dog out right now. It's scratching the door. Okay, well, it sounds like it. Well, you didn't have to make it personal, Matt. Now, well, now you made it my, personal gotta, with me earlier. I got to bring my dog into the po- podcast. This is not what, what anyone asked for. It's great radio. Great radio. <laughs> All right, Matt. Uh, what are we getting to next? Let's dig into uh, baseball. Little little topical right now. We're getting to that uh, that dead part of the season where uh, there's there's baseball being played, but so much else going on. The draft was yesterday. Some uh, some teenagers became millionaires, and uh, Matt, you have a little uh, inside information. Little you got a little update, uh, Cub Sox wise for us. Uh, well, I don't remember who the Cubs drafted, so there's that. It's it's not at all a, a means of not being a fan, but they were too late in the first round. I had already flipped over to the Stanley Cup. Um, I know the the Sox went with the uh, second baseman shortstop Nick Madrigal, who you said is out is a Sacramento guy, right? He Sacramento is. He's kid. out of he's out of uh, Elk Grove High School in Sacramento. So the Elk Grove faithful out here were very proud of him. He uh, he went early, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna probably get his shot sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think he's hopefully a guy that, that they project to to play in the middle somewhere, but maybe a guy, if, if Anderson and Moncada really settle into second and short, might be able to slide over to third. Who knows? Uh, I remember hearing reading that he was kind of more Rick Hahn's guy, mm-hmm. whereas Kenny Williams wanted to go with uh, Brady Singer, that pitcher out of Florida. So it, it, it appears that Rick Hahn probably won out or had more votes in the room. So I think that's uh, somewhat significant. But uh, from from some people I've talked to who know Joe, what is going on over there? Do we have a door open? We got a door open. You still got a door open? Okay. We got a door open. <laughs> okay. 
Come on, you were in the zone there. That I was, was in the zone, and then I heard a car driving by. It was Rick Hahn's guy, and it was Rick Hahn's guy, and it, this was a, a guy projected pretty much anywhere from you know three to eight. And I think there, after I think Casey Mize was the guy, the pitcher went one out of Auburn. It was pretty much anybody can go anywhere. But uh, I know the Sox were happy, Phil, and uh, should be a guy we see in Winston Salem. I think pretty soon, joining yeah. a pretty uh, pretty young, talented, uh, high A roster. Yeah, and when you're when you're a first round pick, obviously there's a little bit of pressure on you to have that impact um, at the farm level right away. But um, that's also why you're being selected that early, is people think you can have that impact. Yeah, just like you know the last time the Sox drafted a second baseman in the first round of Gordon Beckham. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of Gordon Beckham this year because the Tacoma Rainiers are in the PCL, which plays. Uh, against the um, Sacramento Rivercats here. So uh, Gordon has spent some time across the street. And Joe, if you could get uh, Gordon Beckham on the podcast, that might be like the greatest present you could ever give me. Uh, I, nice still, for I still absolutely love Gordon Beckham. And I, I will still always convince myself that like if he could just hit like 240, he could be like a very acceptable nine hitter, plays great defense. I'll always believe in Gordon Beckham, even though I'm that, just – that's it's my, uh, it's my only. Fault. That's still that's still the issue because I've seen him make a couple great plays out here. Uh, but to kind of tie in Cubs and Sox uh, days of days of yore here, uh, Daniel Vogelbach. Remember oh, Daniel yeah, Dan Vogelbach? Vogelbach? They got the Mike big, traded for Mike Montgomery. Big home run hitter that they were wondering can he lose the weight and this and that. Well, he didn't lose the weight, no. but he is in the Mariners system right now, and he pays for the Rainiers AAA right now as well. So the other day it was. Uh, it was Gordon Beckham at third and Vogelbach at first. It was a sight to see. The Chicago connection right there. That's right. And uh, well, let's talk a little bit more Cubs. The uh, the Cubs, uh, I believe, selected Paul, I don't know, Rashan, drafted by the Cubs, second round. That was the sure. compensation pick. Sure. That, was the so- that was the compensation pick. Um, they used the final pick of the day. To uh, pick Stan- the Stanford shortstop Nico Horner, I believe. The Horner Cubs was took at number 24. I have nothing, no idea yeah. about him. Can't uh, it's not it's not again not that I'm a Sox fan I just after kind of the top you know the, the guys I mentioned that could go anywhere from three to eight I kind of mm-hmm. stopped reading anybody's games because I knew the Sox weren't drafted back there. Gotcha. Well, uh, it, it is the MLB draft, and a million names will come across the board, and uh, we won't we likely won't uh, meet, see, or hear from ninety percent of them. So it's uh, amazing how that MLB draft works. <laughs> How many rounds? Like 72? There's like 40-something. It's insane. And, like, and then the last like the last two or three rounds are basically just drafting like people in baseballs, like kids, like basically doing your buddies a favor by drafting their kid in the organization. Yeah. You see a lot of that um, happening. Matt, it was, uh, it was a somewhat successful week on both sides of town in terms of the big league clubs. Uh, Cubs on a little bit of a heater here. Sox uh, taking a couple. I, I, I believe a couple for a success. Yeah, but uh, you got you got to see flashes from the young kids every once in a while. I I no longer have my finger on the pulse, obviously, of Chicago baseball. So what's the uh, what's the temperature? Give me the temperature out there. You, I think Cubs fans are a little bit uh, breathing a little bit easier now. A little sigh of relief after taking six in a row. Granted, they're six in a row. I believe it is now six. Um, haven't haven't come against the greatest of, uh, mm-hmm. of competition. The Mets are well. The Mets. Um, and I believe the series before that was the Pirates, and the Pirates aren't have been playing the best of baseball uh, recently either, even though they started out pretty hot. But six in a row is still six in a row. It's a winning streak. You know, Javi Baez is stealing home, and they're, they're starting to have some of those moments. I think you'd like to see them do it against, you know, the, the higher-end competition. I know Quintana went out and had a great start against the Mets. I think you want to see him build off that. But you also want Darvish to get off the DL. Uh, you, you want to see what he can do. And I think on the south side, Nice to see him take two or three from the Brewers. You know, a good team. He got some some pretty good efforts offensively there in the middle. They they got shut out, but eight runs in the first, six runs in the second, or in the second win. Um, and now it's it's basically just we're, we're waiting for Carlos Rodon to come back up, which uh, you know really could be any day now. Uh, I think he made his third or fourth rehab start the other day. We, we pitched pretty well. He, he's striking out a ton of people down in Charlotte, which is nice to see. And then uh, Eloy and Kopech have both passed their Super 2 deadline, so there's really no consequence to bring up either of them. Uh, Eloy's, I think, still going to make one more stop in AAA, but I, I think the watch is just th- – that that's the countdown clock for Sox fans now, just kind of waiting to see yeah. when those two come up. Keep seeing what you know the Mancadas and the Andersons and th- those guys are doing up here, checking the box scores and then seeing what those guys are doing in, in, in the minors and waiting for them to you know get their call. 
Matt, I didn't see a single pitch of Sox Brewers series, but I did see the sit down with Hawk and Bob Euchre oh, in the God, same uh, in the same booth. I, I love was, that so much. It was old man baseball porn, and I know that doesn't sound good, but it that was doesn't. that really doesn't. It was fantastic. They were just both having their own conversation with themselves almost, but yeah. That's to, what uh, both of them do. Um, they're, they're, two borderline senile men talking talking baseball, telling stories. It was good stuff. I didn't quite I didn't quite see the whole thing, but I saw some sort of uh, somebody tweet. I'm, I'm I'm not sure if it was a joke. I don't think it was because there were quotes and stuff around it. But Hawk asked Bob Euchre, like, "Hey, you still have your charity golf tournament down in Arizona?" And Bob yeah. Euchre said something along the lines of, "Like, no, they canceled that once once they figured out I was keeping the money." Yeah. So you know, that's a thing, isn't that like illegal? Yeah, I think it's a little. I think there's a, a title against that or something. So I think he should. Um, <laughs> he should lawyer up. Goes up. He should lawyer up or uh, or just make sure that his ducks are in a row. So uh, it, it was it was good. It was good television in 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 the middle of a season that needs a, a little spark that uh, Bob Hooker and Hawk Harrelson can always provide. I was pretty bummed I missed though one of the few Hawk you know broadcasts. I, this being the last yeah. year him doing the the Sunday home games. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was a little bummed that I missed the Hawk broadcast because I'm trying to take in as many of those as I possibly can. Oh, well, you're a, you're a better man than I. I know. I know. I always have. Matt, uh, let's keep it baseball, but I got a grievance. Sure. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now... You're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, I don't know if you saw the exchange uh, yesterday between uh, my favorite player in the league right now, John Carlos Stanton, and, uh, jo- uh, pardon me. Um, Mike Fires. Mike Fires. I was trying to think of the team he was on, which is the Detroit um, Tigers. Detroit Tigers. Yeah, shut, he so, absolutely shut down the Sox earlier this year. That's why I remember that. Gotcha. Well, Mike Fires is also the man who hit John Carlos Stanton in the face, uh, obviously unintentionally back in 2014. Yesterday, he gets John Carlo in the first inning on the elbow, and uh, it ran up and in on him. It was later in the count. Who knows if it was intended or not? Uh, there were there were runners on base, so it probably wasn't intended it uh it was one that just got away from him it looked like and uh john carlo took issue with it and like he should you know that's a guy who you're always going to remember he he sidelined you for a while and put one in your mouth mm-hmm. so again pause um he he changed uh he changed the way he stood at at the plate for a while you know that 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 shakes a baseball player so gets john carlo on the elbow john carlo has some words for him walks the first base uh, later on in the game, John Carlo takes him 450 feet into the set, not the second deck, but the second grouping of seats there in left field and uh, throws a little bat flip out there, takes his time out of the box. And then while he's crossing home plate, points back at Fires. Doesn't say anything, doesn't look at him, just as he's point as he's stepping on the plate, points right at Fires. And again, the baseball police, old men, baseball writers, Fires himself just up in arms about how childish it was and how he's not playing baseball the right way. I don't get it. I don't understand what the issue is. There was a problem on the field. It was settled during the game within the actual play when the ball was live, a home run was hit, a man pointed at a pitcher, let's all grow up and get over it. Why are these pitchers' feelings hurt so easily nowadays? I understand there are the unwritten rules of baseball that we've touched upon here on the podcast before, and they're about 10,000 rules deep, and they only apply in certain situations, but take that book, throw it out, and rewrite it because it's a boring sport that's losing traction. You need John Carlos Stanton hitting 500 feet home runs and pointing at pitchers. You need arguments. You need controversy. Look at the NBA. Look at the traction that they've gained in the last decade and how it's rooted in controversy. It's... It's what baseball needs. They need arguments. They need home run hitters. They need moments like yesterday. So let's stop suppressing it the way that they're suppressing it and deferring to these unwritten rules that protect the feelings of pitchers. What are we protecting other than the feelings of Mike Fires in this situation? I'm with you on part of it. 
Uh, I will say we've talked a bunch, both of us, on this um, this topic. I think you know over random podcasts here and there about how you know the the newer guys who have a little more fun in baseball are under fire a lot by by the old guard. And I, I like I like the bat flips. I like you know bringing emotion into the game. I don't love the point. You know, when you're crossing home plate after the bat flip, after the slow walk, after the stare down, I don't like it. But that's just not in baseball. That's more so in any sport. I don't like, you know, going that far out of your way to, to really show up another guy. Um, and that, again, that's not, you know, unwritten rules of baseball, you know, old school, you know, run across the plate, put your head down, go to the dugout. That's just more to me. He's, you know, going out of his way to show up another guy, in which I'm not a huge fan of. I, I, again, I'm okay with the bat flip, okay with the stare, and I'm okay with having fun and all that stuff. But that's kind of for me where I drew the line a little bit. I'm not like up in arms about it. I'm not something that I'd be, you know, complaining big time. And I, if I'm Mike Fires, I wouldn't, I don't know why this has to be brought up in the media. You can probably just say no comment on the whole thing and just walk away with it. I don't know why you need to feel the need to stir things up even more. Because his but, feelings got hurt. But again, so I don't know why you need to go to the media and tell them your feelings are hurt, Joe. That's yeah. that's also no, what right. I'm saying. I don't love the point, but it's not for the reasons, I guess, that you were kind of uh, grieving about there, if, if you will. Um, I, got, I, I just took you 450. I got 360 feet to do whatever I want. I'd like to see Giancarlo do a cartwheel on his ass. I don't think I don't think he could pull that off. I don't think Giancarlo. Cartwheel. I don't, yeah, I don't he think might he be a little too. He's a little, little, too, muscle, to little too muscle bound for a for a form for a form cartwheel. I, I I agree with you there, Matt. Can you do a cartwheel? Uh, I haven't tried in a long time, but I'm sure I could get one out. Is the cartwheel the one there. where you roll, or is it the one where it's like the handstand? No, that's kinda, the hand. It's kind of okay. like the handspring forward. Okay, yeah, yeah, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, no, I think I still got one in the bag. You want me to, I mean, I don't think, I don't you know, think our listeners can hear me do it. But you know, after you, well, um, <laughs> after after the show, why don't you? We can get our second best tweet of all time, most reacted to tweet gotcha. of all time. Me doing have someone now. film you attempting to do a cartwheel. We'll tweet that one out. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. So let's uh, let's move on here. We got uh, we going mailbag or by ourselves? Uh, let's hit by ourselves first. Okay. Uh, I'll start us off here, Matt. Surely. Buy or sell, Kyler Murray coming back to play quarterback at Oklahoma after being selected ninth overall by the uh, Oakland Athletics. This is the heir apparent to Baker Mayfield, supposed to start this year for the Sooners, but uh, he was just selected ninth overall. He's already come out and said that uh, Boomer Sooner, he's playing this year. You know, it's it's really tough to pass up that money. It's what you said, you said 4.7, just under $5 million, whatever it is. That's a lot of money to pass up, uh, especially just, you know, sign on the dotted line and it's yours. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's kind of this far into it. And I know he I know he was uh, expect to be drafted, but uh, I think he went at nine. You said that was was definitely a little bit of a shock. No one expect him to go that high. Uh, hats off to him for he, he made a commitment to a to a team, to a group, to a to a head coach. And he's sticking to it. I can't say I may have made the same decision. Um, but I, I do respect his his commitment to it. He's, he's going to stick it out. He, he honor he's going to honor his commitment. He's going to play football, and you know, hopefully, he stays healthy. He'll take out an, you know an insurance policy, um, and it'll never really get him the the four point seven or whatever it is. But um, I think he's uh, I, it's an honorable decision on his choice. Yeah, honorable but questionable because I don't know how much success this kid's going to have at quarterback. He's a, an absolute burner. They're going to run read option all day, but. I don't know how tall he is. He doesn't. He doesn't look. He looks to be slight in stature, which worries me when it comes to injury. I guess is is Fair the enough. point that as I'm a, trying as a to quarterback make. who's going to be running around a bunch too. He's listed as 5'11", 190. He's no taller than five foot ten. I guarantee it. Fair enough. Then yeah, he, he is open to injury. Then, but at the same time, all in terms of buying or selling his choice, I, yeah, is in no, terms of a, a, a smart choice, I'm going to sell it. In terms yeah. of a character Respectful move, I, I will character, respect yeah. the move. I'll, I'll buy it in that sense. So I successfully towed the line and both bought and sold. I think that's the first time. I think that's the first time in the history it. of this segment. Got it. All yeah. right. Boom. Oh, yeah. It's Why my turn hit? to ask you yeah. something. Your, your turn to read. Uh, yeah. Buy or sell, Joe, the Vegas home, you know, the, the, the pregame anthem antics type stuff, the, the, the whole night stuff, all that. The show they put on that takes about a half hour. You buy and you sell it. I'm selling. Yeah, just tighten it up a little bit for me. Just, just shorten it up, and uh, let's get to the point here. We know you're in Vegas. We don't need, um, we don't need a full musical act playing before. We don't need Little John getting the crowd pumped up. But it's Vegas. It's, That's Vegas, man. It's but Vegas, but it's not hockey. Like it's like but... very. It, it's it detracts from 
what so we're here for sometimes. You, you start, here's my only thing. You, you just, you start the ceremonies a little bit early. You start all that stuff a little bit earlier. Don't tell me, you know, puck drop is 707 or whatever it is. And then, you know, mm-hmm. be, I'm seeing a, a knight on the ice waving a sword at 707. Tell me it's at 707. Start this stuff at 630. <laughs> and then let's actually drop the puck at 707, if that makes sense. They got to they gotta open doors like an hour early for people to actually like go get something to drink talk with some people sit down because you got to be in your seats what an hour and a half before the game to see all that yeah hey that's fine with me just let's let's just <laughs> make sure our game's actually starting when we're saying and i'm not uh opening up to see you know the, the the night on the ice unless i want to but i will say that game one intro with, with uh was it michael buffer bruce michael buffer doing the uh mm-hmm. the, the lineups that was, that was as cool. that was yeah. as cool of an opening as i think i've ever seen mm-hmm. well uh it uh it's a bit much for me fair enough yeah. I, I would have. Right, I, yeah. Usually, we go the other way on these things. Usually, you like the things that are a bit much, and I'm more of the traditionalist. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Times are changing. I Times guess so. are changing. Uh, Matt, buy or sell the the man we've we've mentioned multiple times on this podcast since his Chicago departure. Uh, buy or sell Jake Arietta's Philadelphia filibuster. He went a little crazy, uh, kind of. T- calling out some of his teammates, not by name, but uh, pretty much calling out everyone, saying we need to be held accountable, we need to be better. Uh, threw a couple four-letter words in there. It was uh, it was good stuff. Buy or sell? I buy it a hundred percent because I don't think he was out there attacking anybody. Like personally, mm-hmm. he was. I, I don't think he said anything that wasn't necessarily uh, you know false. I, I think most of the stuff he said was true. Is part of the reason Philly brought a guy like him in to be a leader in that locker room to be vocal. Um, and uh, Jake's a smart enough guy where I think he knows the best way to, you know, make an impact to, to get to that, to, to get to the people in that locker room. And if he thought that was the best way to go about it, uh, great. He, he's been around winning teams enough to know, you know, what's towing the line, what's crossing it. And I, I, I think he was okay in, in everything he said there. That's just his personality coming out. That's his frustration. And they just mm-hmm. got, they scored one run in three games against San Francisco and the only run was his home run. Um, so I, I, I can't blame him for being a little bit upset, a little bit frustrated. Uh, and again, that's why they got him to be that fiery guy in the locker room to try and light a fire under people. And, and hopefully it works. Philly's been a, a really good team so far, a surprise of the year and that they're starting to hit that skid and he wants to try and stop it. Yeah. I, so think, uh, I think that he's stepping into a leadership void and that's always odd when you're first year player with the team and there's some veterans with the team, but, uh, step, stepping up into a position that, uh, needs to be taken. All right, so my, my turn now, right? Buy or sell. Joe, buy or sell. You got, you got another one, yeah. I do. I do have a second one. Uh, buy or <laughs> sell. <laughs> Carlos Santana's anthem. I know you saw the warm-up. I think you had a little Instagram of it. You, you were in the house for it. You, you like the national anthem? Yeah, I was uh, luckily got to. And then after he warmed up the national anthem, there were probably about 30 members of the media and other people just setting up for the broadcast and stuff down on the court. And uh he gave us a little impromptu blues riff for about you know, three, four minutes that I also got on video. And just being able to watch Carlos Santana play guitar from 10 feet away was, uh, That's was a awesome. moment. But uh, I'm, I'm, so here, here's, my, here, here's what I'll I'm say selling, about it. You needed to get rid of the drums. That, the thank you. That's exactly a, what I was going to say. The guitar, guitar if, you, if you isolate it away from the drums... The guitar was fantastic. Awesome. The drums yeah. were too much for me. It, it, the drums were too much in terms of just like, just sound wise loudness. And they it took away the from the guitar. Yeah, it pushed the tempo too fast, and I think they wanted to play it at that tempo, and it sounds fine at that tempo as long as Carlos is pushing the tempo with his guitar, not mm-hmm. being pushed by a drum. I think that yeah, a, a guitar national anthem is best without the drums, and uh, I was a little. I don't want to say I was disappointed because it was still pretty cool, but uh, I was a little disappointed in the fact that it wasn't just Carlos's spotlight in the national anthem. Yeah, like, so again, I said I told you I was on the flight, uh, flight home, so I didn't get to see that anthem. And I, when I, I heard he was performing, I kind of thought it was it was it was just him out there, and I kind of thought it was going to be similar. I know Metallica did an anthem at Golden State. Uh, I think it was a couple mm-hmm. years ago in the finals. Then in San Jose, when when the Sharks were in the cup, and, and those were awesome. And that's kind of what I thought it was going to be, just Carlos Santana kind of alone dragging it out a little bit. You can hear the extended riff solo, whatever, and, and that sounds awesome. But I kind of heard it that it was good. It wasn't bad, but it was like you you could have did this better. This could have been done a little bit better. I think you wasted a, a great what could have been a great Carlos Santana performance. Yeah, it 
nonetheless, it was uh, exciting to see Carlos out there still cooking. Does he speak English? I think so. He's a very quiet man, though. Oh, yeah, because I, like, I know that. I, I, honestly, you, you hear musicians talk sometimes. I don't think I've ever heard that man speak before. <laughs> I think I've I heard just him seen say him the words play guitar. I heard him say the words "thank you," and I heard him. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think I just heard "thank you," and I think that pretty much everyone knows that one. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, should we go to the mailbag? Let's go to the mailbag. All right, I got a good one here. Um, Ooh. Was asked. Yeah, I talked to you about it before. Don't act like you're surprised here. Yeah, but I'm just remembering it now. The biggest what ifs in Chicago sports. The, the biggest scenarios that you know one decision here or there you know could have changed the outcome of any one of our teams here. So, uh, for an example, um, you know we're not going to use this one, but what if Derrick Rose didn't tear his ACL? Because that's obviously a layup, a layup of one. What if he mm-hmm. stayed healthy? Kind of where could the Bulls have gone? Try to think. We've tried to think of some a little bit more obscure ones out there, not just the the mainstream ones that get talked about all the time. So, you want me to start here with one? Or you want you just you, you want to start? Here? Well, mine's pretty mainstream. I okay. think the, the biggest what if I'm kind of in a basketball state of mind right now of is are. what if what if Michael didn't go play baseball? What if he wasn't forced out of the yeah. league? What if he didn't leave the league? Whatever that situation was, are we talking eight Pete? Are we talking minimum and eight Pete? I, and I know it sounds like a joke, like a like a Saturday Night Live skit, but are no, we but are we, we? We might be eight Pete. You know, so that, I think that's a big what if in Chicago sports history. The other one that came to mind is uh, is I don't know what the what if was in the game, what the watershed moment was in the game, but what if you know the Bears put up a bigger fight in the Super Bowl? I don't know what if. What, what if Devin Hester didn't run what if, that kick? Yeah, but that it, it was like I know. What if the quarter? What if the Bears had a quarterback? I don't know. So here are my two. Uh, I had one kind of good, you know, one that happened for the better, and one happened for the worse. I talked about it before here. But what if the Bears actually didn't let Bruce Arians leave the building and hired him when he wanted to be here? Um, and instead, that was what two years ago, or not two years ago, like five, six years ago. Before you yeah. broke, you broke up there, Matt. I just want to make sure that our that the listeners got that you said. What if Bruce Arians? What if Bruce Arians uh, uh, was was the was hired by the Bears when he wanted to be here before he got hired by the Cardinals? The the Bears mm-hmm. uh, went the Mark Tressman route um, because Bruce Arians apparently didn't want to do their their little fake press conference that uh, that George and. Uh, uh, and them had set up, but uh, Bruce Arians wanted the job. He ended up leaving. They ended up going with Mark Tressman, and what we all we all know how that ended up. Uh, not sure if it's because all the talent in and the Canada. coaching, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Back in Canada, <laughs> how all that meshed. Uh, and and my other one. This one's going back. I'm not sure a lot of people are going to remember this one, but after the Hawks won the Cup in 2010, um, Nicholas Jalmerson was a restricted free agent, and and the Sharks offer sheeted him to a pretty big uh, four year, like 15 million dollar deal, a deal that would have put the Hawks in, in some pretty Basically made the Hawks had have to choose between whether they're going to bring back Nicholas Jalmerson or Antti Niemi. Uh, they, they made the right decision and let Niemi walk. They, they brought back Jalmerson, who was part of their defensive core for the next, you know, seven, eight years, and then brought back two more cups. So that, that for me, was a huge one. If, if, if they go the other way there, how does their defense form up? Antti Niemi, we all know, didn't end up amounting to be that great of a goalie in the NHL, kind of a journeyman backup after that year. So that, that, that for me was a big kind of what if, where would that Hawks dynasty be if that decision wasn't made, which was a big decision at the time, but one that you know, people seem to forget that Stan Bowman did have to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a, a turning point in a franchise. And it just goes to show when we talk about these decisions that are made in, in moments time that when you do look back at them, and this is true for any decision, any choice made by a franchise or an individual, they uh, they definitely reroute the uh, the history. Also, they, for they, me, they I, got, certainly do. I do have one more uh, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. season seven, last second to last <laughs> episode. What if the Hound doesn't throw that rock onto the ice? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you see this or know what I'm talking about. Still Jeremy. over my head. But he nope. was surrounded by the White Walkers. They weren't going to crawl. They, they were stuck in the middle of a lake. They're oh, I do remember the this. Dragon. They thought they couldn't walk on that pond. The Hound goes and throws a rock. It's a pretty heavy rock. It lands and slides across the ice. And they're like, hey. We can walk on this. We're when they fine. Do it. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if they don't do that, the the wall's still up, Joe. Sorry for spoilers mm-hmm. if you haven't seen season seven yet. White oh, Walkers shucks. don't have a dragon. We're Team White Walker. That was big for us. We have a dragon mm-hmm. now, Joe. So that's another big what if for me. I don't. Who Huge. knows where we'd be? Maybe Huge, the White yeah. Walkers wouldn't be a thing anymore. I, I've heard enough. 
Well, I know Chris Sims probably hasn't. He probably wants us to talk all the other <laughs> Well, Chris Sims and all our other listeners, we appreciate you guys tuning into the Moose and Moods podcast, episode 59. Matt, uh, I'm all out of words. I got nothing else for these people. You uh, you want to shut us down? I can do that. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. The, uh, the Bears, I think it was yesterday, the day before, uh, people say that that front office a lot of the times uh, makes a lot of wrong decisions, isn't, isn't run all that well, isn't run all that efficiently, makes some bad decisions for PR. But uh, they, they made a great one yesterday. Uh, they brought back Zach Miller on a, uh, on a one-year deal, the tight end who obviously last year almost lost his leg. Uh, in New Orleans uh, with that horrific injury and you know he, he's now back walking and all that and he's probably never going to play football again but uh, it is kind of a thank you to him I believe and it's kind of a a you know keeping him on your insu- on insurance and all that stuff not that he needs it as much but um, the, the Bears brought him back and, and he's still part of that organization I believe if he ever does play for them next year it, it bumps up the salary like 700000 but right now he's making the veteran minimum um, just because of what a great teammate he's been in that locker room, what what, uh, what he's meant to the organization, to sticking through this this tough rebuild type period, and kind of being one of those leaders, I thought it was a, a very class act by the Bears to do something they didn't have to do. Uh, they could have kept him around, could have kept him part of the organization without actually giving him a contract. But uh, mm-hmm. they, they went out of their way, they brought him back, and uh, he, he's not going to play next year, but he, he's going to be part of the group, and uh, he'd be able to be in that building as, a, as an actual member of that team, which I thought was just a, a huge class act by that organization. Yeah, and I think that it's also going to bring value. Uh, so much value can be brought by a guy who has an impact the way that, that Zach does. And mm-hmm. he, he seemed to be an emotional leader of that team. And I think we saw yeah. that. We saw that most, maybe not as vocal as you think of leaders being, but we saw his impact when he did go down and what it meant to guys and how much it hurt guys and how much... You know, any teammate, you hate to see something that gruesome, that horrific, that, again, life-altering happen, but uh, it really shed light on what he meant to those guys and what he meant to the team, and I think that he can continue to mean that in some sort of role with the team, so I'm, I'm so glad that the Bears did this, and I'm so glad that they're uh, that they're keeping him around. Yeah, and uh, it's just, like we said, a class act from that organization, and it's something I think shows, too, to, to people around the league, to players around the league, that, you know, if, if you come here, if you do your job and you do things the right way, we're, we're going to watch out for you. We will reward you. We're not going to, you know, just throw you aside if, if you're no help mm-hmm. to us anymore. We're actually, we actually care about the players, the people in the building, if they, you know, respect us and care about us back. It was, it was nice to see, and I just I think it's there's no downside to it. It just sends a very good message to everyone in that locker room, and yeah. I think across the league as well. Good, uh, good precedent to set. Absolutely, Matt. That's going to do it for episode 59 of the Moose and Runes podcast. We appreciate you listeners for tuning in. As always, this time next week, Matt, we could be talking about a couple of champions. So, yeah. uh, and we're one your, episode uh, closer your... to the uh, the Moose and Runes football preview special. Too. That's true. We are. We're getting there. Get yeah. your uh, get your trophies polished and get ready for Moose and Runes episode 60. That's going to do it for 59. We appreciate you guys. Hope you have a good week. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.